0: For 22 years, I have preached traditional Palm Sunday sermons about how the crowd of the Jews expected Jesus to come to Jerusalem, overthrow the Romans, and establish himself as the civic king, ruling Israel and the whole world with an iron scepter. And even his disciples whom he had told three times that he would be given over to be crucified and raised on the third day. They had let this truth three times go in one ear, clear out the other. They had forgotten all of this. But in doing this, I think it's putting too much emphasis on frail human beings. So this year, thanks to the narrative lectionary I've been following and the structure of the Gospel of John, where we have Palm Sunday and then four chapters in the upper room in Jesus' lengthy prayer, um, we will focus on Jesus this morning in the greatest act of love in all history, his death on a Roman cross on Good Friday. And I chose the Palm Sunday Bulletin cover this year because there is a cross in the lower right-hand corner as we hold it in our hands. We want to sort of do a Good Friday preview here. So it is fitting this year that we will focus on the Son of Man who was glorified In the hour of his death, as a kernel of wheat falling into the ground and dying will produce many seeds, which Jesus had said on Palm Sunday. And as Paul wrote, the crucifixion is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the nations, but to those whom God has called the cross is the power and wisdom of God. Now, we have three groups of people here. The chief priests said Jesus only claimed to be king. The soldiers, they gambled at the foot of the cross, and bystanders gave um, this poor dying man vinegar as he died. But, This gets climaxed by the psalm that his human ancestor had written, which praises him as the Savior who is the King of glory. Now, our texts cover a lot of ground, and unlike what I've done in previous weeks, this week we will look at what the highlights say about Jesus and his sacrificial love Ask the king of glory. It's a bit of a human paradox. Well, let's look at uh, John's gospel. And the first half is summed up this way. Pilate gives Jesus over to be crucified. And he has this sign, king of the Jews. But when the chief priests object, Pilate, and not everybody's all bad, he asserts his words are true. So, we heard that then he gave over him that he may be crucified, and they took Jesus. This is a key word in the Gospels and in Holy Week and the Passion of Jesus, this giving over. Now, when um, rulers give people over, it's giving over to be punished. They've made a judgment. But among peers... It's really delivered, uh, betrayed. Punishment is a betrayal when peers do it to one another. Remember, Jesus is both God and man. Having borne the cross himself, he went out to a place being called Skull, which in Hebrew, and this is the Hellenized version, Golgotha. Now, I actually found this word. I searched on Skull. In my software for the Tanakh, and especially in Judges, I found this word in the Hebrew would be pronounced Galgoleth. That's just a little aside. Now, what's happening here? After the blood raising and letting scourging, where Jesus was bruised and battered, he bears the weight of the heavy wooden cross. Then John tells us. There they crucified him with two others. But in the middle, Jesus. Jesus. He's the center of everything. Now, all the gospels report Jesus was crucified between two criminals which reminisces back to Isaiah. In chapter 53, he said, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And Luke tells us, That one of these, at the last minute, asked to be remembered when Jesus entered his kingdom. And Jesus said to him, today with me, thou will be in paradise. Okay. Then Pilate wrote a title, and that's actually the word in Greek. I looked up the etymology. It came right into English. He put it on the cross. Jesus, the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Now we heard in uh, last week or the week before, consistent with his time with Jesus, just before this, when he had them one-on-one, Pilate inscribed a title on wood and attached it to the top of the cross over Jesus' head, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Now, we're told many read the title, and the chief priests wanted Pilate to change it, and he answered, what? I have written, I have written. That's the summary. Now let's look a little deeper. Then this title many of the Jews read because where Jesus was crucified had been near the city. And it had been written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. Okay, by this time, many Jews did not even speak Hebrew, and I've read this before. It's very interesting. Even with a much lower population, on Passover, on the three required feasts, Jerusalem, which maybe had 10, 15,000 people, swelled to 50,000 people. So, If any of them were at all literate and they were from all over the Roman Empire by posting these words not just in Hebrew, which so few knew, but the two universal languages of that day, Latin and Greek, Pilate was guaranteeing that all literate people would know who Jesus is king of the Jews. He was determined of this. But the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, thou must not write king of the Jews, but this one, this one was say, king I am of the Jews. So the chief priests, they're complaining and this is no mild complaint. They're adamant that this one, a derogatory term, should not be acknowledged as the anointed king, the Messiah from the line of David. And with this they show, not everyone sees the crucified Jesus as king. And Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. In vernacular, Pilate is saying, in your face, pound sand. He's convinced Jesus is the king of Jews and they are wrong. All right. It's not just them. May we be careful not to deny the absolute lordship of King Jesus, his lordship over our lives, our whole lives. And may we guard against any subtle denial of his absolute sovereignty Over us. Now, the second half of the sermon has four parts. The soldiers crucifying Jesus divide his clothes, and then he asks John to care for his mother. He drinks vinegar and declares, It has been finished. And with this, he becomes the king of glory. His ancestor had written about a thousand years earlier. So first, as the soldiers are crucifying Jesus, they divide up his clothes, casting lots for the seamless undergarment fulfilling Psalm 22. So we're told when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and made four parts. One for each soldier and the undergarment But the undergarment was without even one seam woven entire from above. So four soldiers could evenly divide up Jesus' outer garments. We can assume he had four of them. However, his undergarment, which was left over after the rest had been distributed, it was indivisible. Then John continues, therefore they decided not to split it. I decided not to use rend. It's not really in my vocabulary. Maybe you all know it, but what it meant was they weren't going to split it up, tear it or anything else, but cast lots for it. That scripture might be fulfilled. They divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. Now, I've always been impressed with Proverbs 16:33 and this proverb says that when men are playing a game of chance as they perceive it God is in control. And here's a literal translation of that pro- proverb. In the hollow will be hurled the lot and from Yahweh the whole thing of the judgment I really don't believe that things happen by accident. And I had a good friend who loved the Lord who talked about the world is full of God incidences, not coincidences. Furthermore, Solomon taught, under the sun, the race is not to the swift. And then he used three other examples and concluded, from a human point of view, time and chance happen to all. But now let's get to Psalm 22, which John quotes here. And John says, this is what the soldiers did. Well, I'm not going to quote it again. I already read it word for word. But to them, this is just another man being crucified. He's not special. He's not the king of kings or anything else. But it's an opportunity for them to enrich themselves. And again, I try to be reflective when I read scripture, uh, and, and I think we all need to be. May we never seek to gain any personal advantage from our great and glorious king who loves us so much. And he showed it on the cross. But not everyone sees the crucified Jesus as king. Now we get this positive interlude, the penultimate point in John's passage we heard read this morning, the next to last. We're told women in John were at the foot of the cross. Jesus gives his mother to John, who takes her in as his own, his own mother. So these stood beside the cross, his mother his mother's sister, who was his aunt, Mary, wife of Clopas, which means my exchange. I wonder if this man or this place was a merchant's place. And fourthly, Mary of Magdala, and Magdala means a tower. So obviously there was a big tower in her hometown. Now these four women continued to stand beside Jesus. And they are a contrast to the four soldiers who were gambling on the grimy ground down on their hands and knees for what they could get out of it. Then we're told, Jesus having seen his mother and this disciple who had stood whom he loved, he's saying to his mother, woman, behold thy son. And he's saying to the disciple, behold thy mother. I think this is one of the most beautiful things that Jesus did as he was dying. He saw his mother and beloved disciple. Remember, John never mentions himself by name in his gospel. And he already had a plan worked out for them. So calling his mother woman... He tells her, John is to be her son, and John will now provide for her. And John, you must now care for your new mother. I won't be here any longer to take care of her. You can do it. And then we're told from that hour, the disciple took her, Into the own, the own of him. Immediately, I thought this morning, almost like Abraham. John took care of Jesus' mother as if Mary was his own mother. Now, the last part of our John passage, as his work is coming to completion. Jesus said he thirsts. And they Give him vinegar, and he says, It has been finished. So, John says, After this, after taking care of his mother, Jesus had known that now all things had been completed, which, by the way, is the very word he will soon utter. He knew this, and that scripture may be fulfilled. He is saying, I'm thirsting. So, Jesus has been suffering. (laughs) For all the sin of all people, of all time, in all places. And he also provided for his mother. So he's accomplished all that is needed. Needed for salvation and more. But there's one more scripture to fulfill concerning the crucifixion. So he's saying, I'm thirsting. Now a vessel full of vinegar, having been laid there... And a sponge full of vinegar, hyssop, having been put round. So it was put round the hyssop. They offered it to his mouth. Now, Psalm 69 says this. Then they gave me food, bitter herbs. And for my thirst, they will give me vinegar. Written centuries before this, it had been prophesied that Jesus would get vinegar on the cross. And this is the scripture that those at the cross, the bystanders who were nearby, they fulfilled it concerning Jesus. Now, as I thought about this, and I can certainly be guilty of this, it's kind of crazy when I was a baby Christian, I thought I could actually help Jesus. At the moment of his death, Jesus looked nothing like a king. So they treated Jesus with common human sympathy, but they did not see him as he was the king of kings, the king of glory. Not everyone sees the crucified Jesus as king, chief priests, soldiers, bystanders. And then John concludes his account of the cross. Therefore, when he received the vinegar, Jesus said, It has been finished. The perfect Greek tense, tetelestai. And then, having bowed his head, he gave over the Spirit. This passage started with Pilate giving him over to be crucified. Now he voluntarily gives over his spirit. And since Jesus is fully man and fully God, it makes sense that he gave over both his human spirit and the Holy Spirit, which he had received at his baptism. (sighs) Another thing that we should consider, because this isn't just for 2000 years ago. Let us be filled with grateful awe for the love Jesus showed when he died for our sins on the cross and his resurrection, which we celebrate one week from today is the exclamation point on it all on what he did on the cross. We're now ready to go back to uh, David's psalm. And we know this one was written about a thousand years before Jesus died for us. So I'll sum it up. The creator owns all that he created. He purifies those that he has saved to give him a blessing as the king of glory. So again, I'll do my best to give you all a literal translation here of what they would have heard straight into English. To Yahweh the earth and the fullness of it, the world and those dwelling in it, because upon the seas he has founded it, and upon the rivers he has established it. You see... Since God is the creator of everything, he owns everything. Not just inanimate stuff, but animals and even people. Continuing, who will ascend on the hill of Yahweh? And who will stand up in his holy place? Clean hands and pure heart who has not lifted up to vanity his soul and has not sworn deceitfully, he will take away blessing from Yahweh and righteousness from the God of salvation. There's a lot in these three verses of the scripture. First of all, purity. People must be pure both in actions and heart to come to God. And we can't do this on our own. Nobody is really there. But purity has been provided by faith in what Jesus did when he died on the cross for our sins. And salvation is mentioned here. God the Savior. We must understand God has always given salvation by grace through faith. First This faith before Jesus came to earth, this faith was what in the prophets had said, the prophecies. If people believed God would fulfill them, that was salvation. Now it is faith in what the Gospels and New Testament tell us all about Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he's doing. Now, blessing the result is righteousness being formed in those that Jesus saved, whether by faith in the prophecies or faith in the accounts as after he came. The end result is a blessing from the three-in-one covenant God. So by grace through faith, clean hands and pure hearts get blessed. By God, blessed through Jesus. David continues, this generation of those seeking him, seeking thy face, God of Jacob. Now the words God of are not there, but they're clear from the context. Salah. Yahweh said, all who seek him with all their hearts will find him. Jeremiah 29, an awesome chapter. Continuing, David says, you all must lift up gates, your heads, and you all must be lifted up doors of eternity. And he will come in the king of glory. Now, both the gates and the doors are commanded to open up to the king of glory that he may come in one actively, the other passively in this verse. Now we get this rhetorical question, who, this king of glory, Yahweh strong and mighty, Yahweh mighty in battle, in battle. So Yahweh is declared strong, mighty, and especially strong in a battle. Now there's always a spiritual battle raging. And we ourselves today, even more than ever, I think, must pray to the covenant God that he will conquer the evil that is all around us, whether it be in our life on the earth right now or after we leave this earth, but he will do it. Then David does a repetition with just a twist. You all must lift up gates, your heads, and you all must lift up doors of eternity and he will come in, the king of glory. The only difference here now is the command is in the active voice for the gates. Prior to this, God would be lifting up. Now they must be cooperating with God and taking an action. Um, They must do it with their own strength by grace and God's ultimate help. And then it concludes, who is the king of glory? Yahweh of hosts. He, the king of glory, Selah. And we can meditate on that the rest of our lives. Now, hosts, Yahweh of hosts, that's plural. And I believe this strongly suggests the trinity Now, with David's strong final declaration that he is the King of Glory, which is five times in this short psalm, the number of grace, five, five times, David is strongly challenging the three groups of people that we saw at the cross, which we all share one extent or another. When Jesus died, they were blind to the truth. That Jesus, even as he died and gave up the spirit, he is the king of glory. Not everyone sees the crucified Jesus as king even today. So let's wrap this up. As Pilate gave over Jesus, king of the Jews, to be crucified, the chief priests called him an imposter. The soldiers greedily gambled over his clothes Then we get a little highlight. Four women and John stood by faithfully while Jesus entrusted his mother to John. And then finally, some bystanders gave Jesus vinegar as he cried out, It has been finished. With that, the price for all of our sins was borne by him. And we can be free by grace through faith. Then the king of glory gave over his spirit. Then and even now, not everyone is seeing the crucified Jesus as the king.